Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Bitches on Comics, the podcast that says comics are for everyone, bitches included. I'm Sarah Century. And I'm S.E. Fleenor. We have a question from Zach. There's a lot of intimidation with the cis male comic heads. I don't know where to start. How do you find new comics and artists? So the first thing I want to say is a lot of people who are a part of really anything are going to try to instinctively turn to gatekeeping. Absolutely. I'm sure that you've seen that in almost, I'm going to say literally everything, except for maybe like the nursing field or something. (laughs) Like there has to be something, but mostly it's going to be guys. I mean, even just, it expands to everything because even if you look at you know, working in the kitchen, that was something that women did forever and nobody cared about it. And it was called women's work. And then when men do it, they get to be top chef, TV series, blah, blah, blah. So men make fine arts, women make crafts, right? Oh, you're crafting. (laughs) Yeah. When it's like, no, that is pottery. Like that's still a valuable (laughs) art form. Great. Yeah. So almost no matter where you go or what you do, you're going to encounter gatekeeping. Obviously, we're both in the queer community and there's a lot of gatekeeping in that. I like that you put scare quotes around community. Only community because that's actually... Yeah, well, you know, I guess we... That's a podcast for another time. We're not going to go into that right now, but um, I will say that there, you know, there's a lot of conversation and, you know, without... Without naming any names, without pointing any fingers, I'm going to say there's a lot of conversation about basically who is allowed to call themselves what within the queer community. That completely detracts and deflects from much more serious issues. Absolutely. You should just let people do what they want, basically, if they're not hurting anybody. And also, like, if your community, your movement can't sustain differentiation, it's not strong enough in the first place. People have a right to call themselves by whatever names they want, whatever pronouns, whatever, anything. That's not a threat to anyone else's identity unless people make it one. And that's also something that the whole queer community is basically founded on. So the idea of turning that into a gatekeeping situation, once again, this is another podcast. But (laughs) the important thing about this is... Bitches on queer community. (laughs) That's our other podcast. (laughs) Bitches on the world. I'm really glad you said that, Sarah. I think it's a really important aspect. We have to accept to some degree that there's going to be people who are like, this is my thing. And I think that comics, maybe there's a unique aspect to it. Maybe there's not. I've seen a lot of people reflecting on Twitter and elsewhere about this thing that really was niche for a very long time is mainstream in a way it's never been before. Mm -hmm. And so people who really derived a lot of their sense of self from this outsider identity are feeling like people took something from them, which is pretty silly because (laughs) it's comic books. Uh And if you want more of them, shouldn't you want more people to read them? 
Yeah. I mean, everybody through the entire 90s, there was the industry boom and then the collapse and people were really concerned that all of the publishers were going to go out of business. Marvel hit bankruptcy. Yeah. Why do you think Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man? And guess what? (laughs) Right now, there's more people reading comics than there really ever has been. Comic sales are just through the roof right now. And there's a lot of different kinds of comics that are being sold. So... It's better now. <laughs> Speaking as somebody who was reading comics whenever it was all gatekeeping, you know, white, cis, dude, all that whole situation. It was just that for a really long time. You had Wizard Magazine telling you every single month that girls don't read comics. You had solo comics about women such as She-Hulk or something that were so, so out of control targeted towards male audiences that you couldn't be a woman really and read them, I guess, without feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And I hope a lot of other people would feel uncomfortable about it too, but especially women because that was the target. So... <laughs> it's absolutely better. I it's agree better with you now. So much. That's not going to change the fact that every now and again you are going to walk into a comic book store and a person is going to treat you like you do not belong there. It happens all of the time, even now. You'll hear people come out on Twitter and talk about. I get asked if I'm into comics, even whenever I'm working behind the counter oh at the comic God. shop. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah. So whenever it comes to that stuff, from the very most sincere bottom of my heart. All I can really say is fuck them, you know? Yeah, fuck them. You gotta get rid of them. They can't always try to make everything be theirs. (laughs) They can't shut everybody else out. They can't do that anymore. And they never should have done that because it almost killed the entire industry. And that's half the reason we started this podcast Mm -hmm. is we really wanted to help people feel like you can get into comics. You can get into them at 60. You can get into them at 90. You can get into them at 5. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And you can get into them regardless of your identity, inclusive of your identity. We want to encourage people to not feel that intimidation. And, you know, some of it is absolutely the gatekeeping. Some of it is, like, the conventions of comic books. Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about this on another podcast. The ordering changes all the time. There's Iron Man 1, 1974. Iron Man 1, 2013. It's like, wow. Besides being 40 years apart. Yes, that's correct. That was my math. (laughs) What's the difference? You know, it's like, oh, lots of things. Yeah. So I think that while it is absolutely a question, I'm so glad we talked about the heart of the question, really talking about like, you have a right to be here. Please be here. You know, and don't let other people define you either. That's kind of the thing, too. Whenever I was young, a lot of people would come up and, you know, make me feel uncomfortable in my own space. And I would get really angry about it. Now I just don't negotiate with them because I know exactly who I am and where I've been and what I've gone through, what I've read. I know all of those things. They don't know those things. So just don't even listen to them. But if you're looking for easy ways to get into comics, those issue by issue things that we've talked about that you just brought it up. It really throws a lot of people off, you know, missing parts of storylines and things like that. So I'm just going to say if you're first getting into comics, just buy trade paperbacks, buy the collections, do that. That's like volume one issues one through five is usually about right about what you'll find in a trade paperback. And Sarah and I've talked about this before. That's exactly how I got into comics. And also they're easier to find. You can find them at the library. You can find them at Barnes and Nobles or if, you know, that even exists by the time (laughs) this podcast gets out. Um, Sorry, Barnes. But (laughs) I spent a lot of time, you know, being really poor and reading your books for free. So I should not talk shit. But (laughs) 
here we are. So well, I think that that's great. I think in our first episode, we talked about using the apps to find mm-hmm. stuff. Sometimes what Sarah, Sarah, you've described to me is you'll sort of like scroll until you see something that just looks interesting. Yeah. So that's another thing. My whole life, I've been an art advocate and that's across the board. I always have been looking for new things. I want to support smaller independent artists, smaller only in printing size, <laughs> <laughs> not in stature or heart. So <laughs> I've always tried tried really hard. I mean, even whenever I was, you know, a musician for a long time, I would always look at the lineup, go to all the shows, try to watch all the bands. I don't do that anymore because I got exhausting. Now I do it with books and all of this. So to me, it's been kind of just make that effort. Just go, I'm actively going to start curating art in my life. And then you'll start to find links to different things. So, you you know, don't be close to anything. Be interested in webcomics be interested in the things that people are sharing, interact with those posts, and it'll just lead you, you know, step by step to kind of this bigger world of all of the independent artists that are working on comics right now. Absolutely, and I think the thing some people forget is that a lot of the folks who are doing mainstream stuff are doing indie stuff too. Mm -hmm. So like, or they go from doing one to the other or what have you. And so you think of Captain Marvel by Kelly Sue DeConnick, Awesome, amazing, super progressive, and still in the Marvelverse, still Mm -hmm. has bounds of what can and can't happen. And then you look at some of Kelly Sudeikonik's other work, for instance, Pretty Deadly, Bitch Planet, and you move into a very different direction Mm -hmm. that still is on, I would say, on theme for Mm Deconic, but is not going to be what you're going to find in Marvel. And so if you find an artist you like, you read a comic you like, look at who wrote it. Look at who drew it and try and see what else they're creating. I think that's a, sometimes we forget that we have that ability to just like Google. Sarah and I were talking again with web comics, with single issues, what have you. Sometimes I just Google, I like to read queer stuff, stuff that's by and for queer people. So I'll be like top 10 queer creators of comics in 2018 or 2017. Yeah, so I, I think that it's important to be willing to do research. Mm-hmm. There's so much out there and and not everyone's on social media and I don't think you need to be by any means to no. do this. If you are on social media, start following the people whose stories you like. I follow Kelly Thompson. I follow like Kelly Sue DeConnick. I follow Gail Simone. I like hearing what they're reading. Mm-hmm. That'll put me in interesting directions sometimes. I like finding out I haven't read something of theirs and I'm like, excuse moi? <laughs> you know, and then I'm like Googling and ordering it from the library so I can get caught up. And I think, again, something that's important to know is if you're starting a comic in the middle of an arc, you're going to be missing some important things. Yes, if you start a comic in the beginning of an arc, you're still going to be missing some important things because a lot of these heroes have 60, 70 years of backstory. But usually if you start at the beginning of an arc, it'll say like what the arc is on the cover or on the first interior page. And it's usually by a different writer and a different artist team. Then you can sort of read that arc and then you'll get sort of a full sense of that story. I've been thinking a lot about the Marguerite Bennett run of Batwoman in which Kate Kane, a lesbian, is being written by a queer woman. And it feels really different than the Greg Wrecker run. Again, very happy personally with the Greg Wrecker run, but there are things that appear in it that I think are delivered with a certain emotionality that maybe Rucka can't relate to. I don't know, not being a queer woman. <laughs> uh, so I think that that's a helpful trick is like sometimes you can just start at the beginning of an arc. And sometimes you can just start with like, okay, what's the issue number one of something this year? And issue number one is going to usually be the beginning of an arc. Usually. (laughs) There are lots of exceptions. And that can help you sort of ease into a storyline or a character. You know, I love 
adaptations of comic book stuff. And sometimes, we talked about this before, the Batman animated series, that's where Harley Quinn comes from. Mm -hmm. And also some of the best representations of her are from the animated series. Yeah, definitely. And so it's okay to have a permeable boundary. It's okay if the way you found out about Wolverine was from the X-Men movie. Who cares? Yeah. Now you can dive in and be like, I want to learn more about X-Men. You know, if you want advice right now on where to start with X-Men, I'd say skip Logan, go right to <laughs> Laura and start with all new Wolverine, right. issue number one. I think it's really about exactly what you said, not letting the haters get to you mm-hmm. because whatever. And then really about some tenacity and doing some research. Sometimes I'm like on the bus and I'm Googling shit because yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I just, I want to know who should I be reading right now, mm-hmm. you know? As much as social media can help you with that too, it's also really nice to have an option that isn't social media on your cell phone. So whenever you want to be staring at your cell phone on the bus, for instance, then you have an option. If you have the apps or if you have anything else like that, you could just read a comic instead. That was something I was doing like this morning, you know, and it made me feel better because if I'm scrolling through Twitter for 30 minutes in the morning, then I just get really angry. (laughs) (laughs) had a very different effect on me to read a comic book that was really enjoyable. So that's what I would say. Basically, you have to make that jump and everything. But, you know, if you kind of just make that active thought process, that's always been the biggest step of everything. So a lot of these characters have been distilled in movies in a way that even if there's 70 years of backstory for Captain America, then it doesn't really matter because you still know who Captain America is and what his basic story is. So you can probably hop in pretty much anywhere. I don't think this is exactly the right term, but it's kind of like when you watch a film and you're like, none of this could happen, and you just suspend disbelief. Yep. I really believe in doing that with comic books when I yeah. don't know what's happening. Yeah, you like just Like some backstories like being spun out, and I'm like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that person? I don't know. And I'm like, you know what? They're either going to tell me who it is, and it'll be important at a later date, like when you're watching a movie and stuff's happening that you don't understand, or it's not that important, so I won't even worry about it. to talk about Bitch Planet, the comic, for our comic of the week, but in the meantime, somebody sent us these perfumes that are Bitch Planet based. Woo-hoo! And we want to talk about those for a second. You're the one who has all the PR. So. Yes, I do. So what we have is some perfumes from Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab, which are purveyors of fine esoteric goods, perfumes, and potions. So they're witchy, and we love them. And they sent us some beautiful... How many do we have here? We have like 10. 17. <laughs> 4 million and 3 different scents. And they're all Bitch Planet themed. So some of the ones we're not going to talk about, I'll just say the names just so you get a sense of them. Big Bertha's Big Molasses Muffins. A Green Eggs, which cracks me up. It's all about being compliant. All of the best titles I've ever heard for perfumes in my whole life. Of course, non-compliant. Certainly Spirit Fingers. Spirit Fingers is a jam. <laughs> and then Gyno Ties. Yeah. And they're amazing. They all have graphics from Bitch Planet on them. So they're all drawn by Valentine Delandro, which is really cool. And then we each have chosen two we liked a lot. And do you want to go, Sarah, and talk about yours? Yes, of course I do. Because the first one is The Catholic. 
which is in a pink bottle and it's really amazing. And I am terrible at describing scents, but it is good smelling. It says here it has sacramental incense and a snap of ozone. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, Sarah was, it was on the tip of your tongue. So I have <laughs> executive confession module, which is probably my favorite one. And also something that I would like to tell people that I'm wearing. <laughs> <laughs> You're like on a date. Oh, you smell good. What are you wearing? Executive confession module. <laughs> I love it. And you need to know. I love it. And I have two. One is Marion, which is the... Oh, it smells so good. It's It says it's a virtuous vintage musk smeared with blood and <laughs> spiked with the coppery scent of fear. And then we have Kamau Kogo, who is the main character of Bitch Planet, has her own scent. Mm, and it smells super duper good. It's almond milk, coconut husk, and sweat salted skin. <laughs> so clearly, Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is doing cool stuff. Yeah. They have a lot of what I would say is like nerd geek themed scents. And we are super <laughs> glad they reached out to us and shared these Bitch Planet ones. And I am going to wear these on dates that I go on. <laughs> you can learn more about them on their website, <laughs> which is blackphoenixalchemylab.com. of the week bitch planet book one extraordinary machine written by kelly sudaconic art and covers by valentine delandro created by kelly sudaconic and valentine delandro bitch planet is this awesome awesome work and it is something that deconic worked on right after her captain marvel run and one of my favorite anecdotes of all time is when people accused her of being a angry feminist with Captain Marvel and like witching Captain Marvel up. And she sort of <laughs> turned that into fuel to make Bitch Planet. And she said, oh, so you want to see an angry feminist? Here you go. And that's how I feel when I read it. I feel really pissed off in a really empowered way. Bitch Planet is about a society where women, any women who are non-compliant can be punished and even incarcerated. And if they're really, really bad, they get sent to the Auxiliary Compliance Outpost, which is a whole planet colloquially called Bitch Planet. And it is a hellscape on Bitch Planet. It reminds me a lot of Michel Foucault and like the Panopticon. You know, they're in this prison environment and there's hypervigilance. There's these two guards who kind of meta-commentary throughout all of the issues are watching the women get beaten by guards and watching the women have sex in the showers and watching the women play this cool game, Dumilla, Metatron, Dumilla, Metatron. They fight over what it's called. It's like so gut-wrenching because it feels like oh that's a really far way away and then you see what life is like outside of bitch planet and it is not it's not far away you mm -hmm. know it's like a guy kind of gets sick of his wife because she's old and then he just like has her sent to prison and then has her assassinated in prison so that his new wife doesn't have a mix-up of records in the future. And it is brutal. Yeah, that and I'm was like, brutal. Oh, that feels not far. That feels <laughs> like maybe that's happening. Oh. Which, you know, is terrifying. Yeah. There's also a second ward on the planet. We don't really learn this until volume two, but I just want to put this plug in because I think it's a really cool 
feature. Mm-hmm. We're mostly going to talk about volume one today, but there's a whole ward that is dedicated to who they call gender terrorists, which is what both TERFs IRL, and if you're a TERF and listening to this, fuck you and please turn this off, and then the society at large in that world calls folks. So it's a term that's borrowed from reality and applied in sort of a different way. I am obsessed with it. I think it's one of the coolest works. I think that a lot of people have pointed out that Deconic is really grappling with the white savior complex in it and really grappling with white feminism. And I think as a white person, she's trying to really take responsibility for some of her privilege. And sometimes the characters she's putting herself into and putting by proxy the white folks reading it, people we identify with frequently are like not good people. You know, they're like the prison guard (laughs) and they're like the animatronic holograph that is taking confessions from people. Mm -hmm. And it's wild. Yeah. So I love all of that. Yeah. And it's also cool because there's this meta aspect where there's the fake ads Mm-hmm. In the back, oh, those are so great. cool. And the then, like, patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, kids, patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it varies from like the X-ray specs that are see through his intentions. Oh my god, <laughs> yes, they're and the feminist version of the old comic book ads that you would always see, like X-ray specs, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one's like the parasite you can take to lose weight. These varying levels of commentary on, yes, absolutely comic book ads, absolutely the ads of the 50s and 60s and of this sort of world that it takes place in. But there's also ads that are like, Missed connections. The leading cause of injury of women in the U.S. is domestic violence. And it's just sandwiched in there. And it's like, oh my God, this is so hard to process. Yeah. And I love that. I love it. I love anything that kind of overwhelms you with truth. This book is really good because also the character dynamics are really great. The dialogue between characters, the best. She just outdoes herself completely here. And I think that this really is the more hardcore feminist version (laughs) of Captain Marvel. It totally switches the perspective, but it has still that same perspective, only way more so, which is for the best. It actually works out so well. And, you know, everybody will tell you to read this comic. A lot of people loved this comic, and I think for all of the reasons that you just cited, for sure. The art is incredible. Everything (laughs) about this comic. I'm, like, trying to think of I think people who, like, the Handmaid's Tale will love it. And I think that even um, DeConnick would cite The Handmaid's Tale as an influence on it. The Handmaid's Tale, but it kind of takes it further than that, even from the TV series, which has taken The Handmaid's Tale further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bitch Planet takes it further, further. <laughs> further, further, further. And is like Prison Planet. Yeah, yeah. This is where we live. Yeah. I also think that there's something Bitch Planet does that I don't see a lot of comics, even feminist comics, doing, which is grapple with sizeism. And so there's this character, Penny Roll, who is super fat and super awesome. FYI, super fat is an actual term, not an insult. Um, So don't at me. Penny is a, you know, she's all about understanding who she is. She's imprisoned literally because she's fat. It's one of the citations. Another citation is her, quote, you know, uncouth hair. And then her parents' racial identities. She's the product of a biracial couple. And she's literally imprisoned for those facts. And then they try and like make her feel really bad for it. And mm-hmm. it kind of, you're reading it and you're like, oh my God, this, this is terrible. The scene where the white woman is cutting her hair is the most horrifying and uncomfortable thing. It's so intense. And you, uh, it's just like terrible. All of the representation of that and what that means. 
and just how callously this woman does it. We see it even, we see it on Twitter. Yeah. You know, we see people doing this yeah. stuff. In this comic, the way that it's framed is as the horrifying act that it is. It's intimate and I would say accusatory. Yeah. I would say that, again, DeConnick, I think, takes a lot of responsibility for her privilege in this in this work and, like, shoves your face in it, assuming a lot of the people who are going to be reading it are white. You know, I think that that's one of the presumptions, not in a bad way. I mean, that is a good thing. And I think that people of color can also find a lot of resonances in it. You know, Penny as a biracial black woman. There's tons of other characters. You know, Miko is fucking so cool. But in Penny, I think one of the most amazing things is they the fathers, which is like the people who enforce the rules, strap her down and they're like, we are going to show you the projection from your mind of your ideal self. And as you're reading it, you're like, oh my God, no, 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 no. Think, what if, what's gotten inside of her head? Like, what is she hurting? And you kind of see her face where she kind of worries. And then they show the projection and it's, you know, Penny looking exactly like she looks in real life. She starts laughing and she's just like, dying because she's like you thought you knew me and I am unapologetic in who I am and you see that time and again in these characters in in Bitch Planet I think it's a reminder of how resilient people can be Mm -hmm. in the face of a lot of horrible horrible shit and that feels really important right now for various reasons yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's definitely a lot of alarm (laughs) when you read a book like this but at the same time there's a great reason to be alarmed i'd say so yeah it's both and right like i feel super alarmed and like super encouraged that like i think something that happens a lot when white people and white men in particular write post-apocalyptic tales is they tell a story like look at alan moore's v for vendetta black people are dead there's just no more black people it's like that's messed up and that's why there's been a movement about black people exist in the future you know and i think what this work does is says yes it will be harder because it's harder now and it's harder to be black now and it's going to be harder then as well and things are going to be worse and you're going to be targeted for your race and your ethnicity but you will still be alive because you're so goddamn strong and i think they say that about feminists they say it about trans folks they say it about you know women who dare to be in politics and i think that's one of the things in this that i didn't expect to find encouraging i expected to walk away being super depressed and on one hand i am on the other hand i'm like oh my god people are so resilient beach planet Thanks for listening to Bitches on Comics, the podcast that is here to answer your comic book questions and our own. If you'd like to ask us a question, email us at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. B.T.C.H.E.S.O.N.C.O.M.I.C.S. at gmail.com. Gmail does not like the word bitch, so if you leave the I in, we won't get your email. So make sure you leave the I out. There is no I in bitch. You can find out more about us and this podcast at bitchesoncomics.com. If you like what we do and want us to keep doing it, there are many ways you can show your support, including becoming patrons at patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics. Also, please feel free to rate and review us so that more people can find out about us. We appreciate your support. Sound is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire, who you can follow at churchfiremusic.com. Theme music is by Earth Control Pill, and you can follow her work at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find my work at sarahcentury.com. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm Essie Fleenor, and you can find me at essiefleenor.com. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
This is Bitches on Comics, and we're recording in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and other sovereign nations who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Anna Sheridan, New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror, missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is the compass broken? Or did I turn to the Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierce the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation, or any other. I need you to find me. What else would it be? The Sheridan Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.